Welcome back to the Actors Label podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Ann Lightley. I'm head of marketing at Actors Label. And today I'm joined by two of our ambassadors, Callum and Hester, who will share their unique perspectives on the importance of disability pride and what it means to them. In this episode, we'll also discuss the history of disability pride, how much we've achieved as a community, and how far we still have to go to achieve true equity and equality. Callum, Hester, welcome. Let's start with some introductions. Um, Callum, we'll come to you first to introduce yourself, please. Thanks, Carrie-Anne, and hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Callum Russell, and I am blind since birth. I have no useful vision in, in either eye. Um, and uh, I run a consultancy called Crystallize, which supports organisations on any aspect of disability inclusion, but with a particular focus on the needs of those who are blind or vision impaired. Thank you, Callum. Hester, welcome to you now to introduce yourself. Hi there, I'm Hester Granger. I'm a certified ADHD coach and I'm co-founder of Neurodiversity Workplace Consultancy Perfectly Autistic. I was diagnosed with ADHD a couple of years ago at 43. I'm also mum to my two children who also have ADHD and are autistic. Um, My daughter is also dyspraxic and my husband and business partner Kelly is also autistic and has ADHD. So we're a truly neurodivergent family. Thank you, Hester. Thank you both for introducing yourself. It's so great to have you here with us today. I'm really excited about how we can discuss um, disability pride from your very unique perspectives. I'll start with um, a bit of information about the history of disability pride, some key information um, about that and about the disability pride flag. We have our own flag for disability pride and um, each of the colours within it has its own significance. So history, the the month-long celebration of Disability Pride originated in the USA um, and is now celebrated and recognised in many countries. It's a way of celebrating diversity and difference among the disabled community and highlighting ways to understand how to better support disabled people. We celebrate Disability Pride Month to enable opportunities to change the conversation around disability and alter perceptions of disabled people's lived experiences. The Disability Pride flag was designed by American Anne McGill, who waived all copyright to to the design in 2019. In July 2021, the design was revamped Um, Even with desaturated colours, the original zigzag design could, when viewed online, especially with scrolling, create a strobe effect and pose a risk for people um, who had visual sensitivity around that. The 2021 Disability Pride flag colours symbolise various types of disability or impairment. Green is for sensory disabilities. Blue represents emotional and psychiatric disabilities. White represents non-visual and undiagnosed disabilities. Gold represents neurodiversity. Red represents physical disabilities. Stripes are displayed on a faded charcoal black background, 
commemorating and mourning disabled people who've died due to ableism. Now we've talked a little bit about the history and background to Disability Pride, I'd like to um, come to our guests and ask you what Disability Pride means to you. So Hester, I'd like um, you to give your thoughts on that first, please. And it would be great to hear your perspectives from the point of view of neurodiversity. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Carrie-Anne. I think it's such an important question. And having only been diagnosed with ADHD a couple of years ago, I didn't realise I was neurodivergent. <laughs> so I've gone through most of my life not knowing I had a hidden disability, not knowing why I struggled around certain things, not knowing why I masked a lot and tried to be, I always describe it as less Hester. I'm aware I can be <laughs> quite full on and I have a high word count and I'm purposely trying to talk a little bit slower today. Um, and I think the thing is with, for me with disability pride is, or just having ADHD and being the parents um, of neurodivergent children is just being really proud of the uniqueness of being neurodivergent and kind of all that it brings. And I think just to sort of briefly explain um, for those that might not sort of know is neurodiversity basically describes the idea that people experience and interact the world around them in different ways. And it's basically there's no one right way of thinking or learning or behaving. Um, and that differences should be viewed not as deficits. Um, and if you think about like an iPhone and an Android phone, they both do the same job. They both make calls. You can both WhatsApp, etc. But the way they process it is differently. And it's the same being neurodivergent, whether you're autistic or ADHD, dyslexic, dyspraxic, etc. Um, and I think for me, it just enables different ways of thinking. Being neurodivergent increases my creativity and my innovation, which I think is just really important. So I'm really proud to have ADHD. It came as quite a surprise, which for some people might not. They might have known they always felt different throughout their life. But as I said, you know, being a wife um, to my autistic and ADHD husband and, you know, mum to my children, actually, we're really proud. You know, the, they call themselves the A-team. And I think it's it's really good to talk about all disabilities, all differences, um, but I, I do come at it from the sort of the hidden disability because for me it was very much hidden, very much hidden, and I found my own ways of coping. Thank you, Heather. It's so interesting, um, and I think it speaks to a lot of my own experience as well, or similarities with my own experience. In that, you know, on one hand, I have a very visible disability. I have cerebral palsy, and I use a wheelchair. Um, but on the other hand, I also have impairments or conditions that you can't see. And when I was 34, I was diagnosed with complex PTSD, um, which I know has a lot of crossover with ADHD and other neurodivergences. And I am sort of just now, two years after that, coming into a place where I'm comfortable to adopt that label for myself, I suppose, and to think about um, how my own neurodivergence yeah impacts impacts my work and my life um but i understand very much that feeling of of things being hidden and and of almost um you know when you said be less hester that really resonated <laughs> yeah. with me because because pre-diagnosis for me was about you know i had a lot of this internalized a lot of this a lot of the symptoms i experienced because of complex ptsd i had internalized as just kind of issues with me or personality yeah. flaws or 
and actually get accessing a diagnosis and a label enabled me to kind of separate myself from that and go you know this is this is not this is a this is a complex PTSD or a, or a neurodivergence problem and I think that's very empowering. Yeah I completely agree and I think for me it's about being kinder to myself I would get really really exhausted and kind of almost burnt out on a bit of a cycle and I didn't really realize what it was or why it was and I just thought I wasn't great at maybe being a parent and trying to juggle that and run the business and all those kind of things and now it's like oh your brain is literally wired differently and it's okay to feel those things and I think with that comes quite a lot of guilt and unpicking the what's me and what's my ADHD etc and also a bit of guilt about even talking about disability pride because it's it's hidden and you know a lot of people don't even realize that being neurodivergent depending which condition it is can be classed as a disability and I don't find my ADHD disabling but I know a lot of people and I coach a lot of people that really do and I think that's the thing isn't it it's a kind of how you view it but very much it, it enables me to be who I am now and actually here I am I'm here so I have ADHD and you can choose you know <laughs> sort of take that how you will. Amazing I love that I think it's about being unapologetically yourself I use that term quite a lot these days and um, as I say really resonates with me. Callum I'd like to bring you in here and, and talk a little bit about your experiences and perspective so what disability pride means to you as somebody with a sort of a, a sensory impairment but also somebody with I suppose disability that's a bit a bit more visible. Um, interested to get your thoughts there. Yeah thanks Carrie-Anne. Um, well, I think the first thing I would say is that I have only ever known being blind. So I I haven't had that adaptation uh, process uh, that, say, many other disabled people might have. And, and so I haven't had, if you like, a chance to feel guilty or sorry for myself. Um, and and there's no point me feeling guilty or sorry for myself because you know as soon as I walk out the house when I use my cane everybody around me knows instantly that I I am blind so for me disability pride is about embracing my blindness as part of me it's something that makes me unique um, it gives me a, a unique perspective on, on the world. And I think I, as a result, can bring an awful lot to the table when it comes to, you know, communicating with businesses, friends, family, schools, colleges, whatever the case may be. Um, and I also think that disability pride is about embracing the fact that people will make assumptions about who I am and what I'm capable of and actually I love nothing more than taking all of those assumptions be they positive or negative and either proving people right or proving people wrong and I can tell you that proving people wrong is as always considerably more satisfying um, I suppose I suppose I just wish that um, disability pride was something that was celebrated all the time. Um, 
I always think there's uh, there's an increased awareness um, when you know we have events like Disability Pride and Disability History Month, and then it kind of disappears again, and it sort of feels like a bit back to normal. Um, and I think it's it's really important that you know it's really important to understand that the awareness of the general public around vision impairment has a long, long way to go. Um, and I think it's really important to, uh, yes, celebrate how far we've come and yes, embrace, uh, in my case, embrace the vision impairment that I have um, in all its positivity and its glory. But also, I think let's not rest on our laurels and let's be really cognizant of the fact that there is still a long way to go, particularly when it comes to, for example, the employment or lack of employment of vision impaired people um, in, in, in the workplace. So, yes, disability pride is a, is a hugely positive thing. I'm very proud of my blindness and, and the fact that it gives me that unique standpoint. But I definitely uh, I'm definitely very, very aware of the fact that we still have a long way to go. Thank you, Callum. I completely agree with all the points that you've raised there and I think a couple of things that I'd like to bring out one is is just thinking about that unique perspective element and I think I I, I consider this you know almost a privilege of, of disability is that we all have our own unique perspective as disabled people as people with different impairment groups and even somebody with the same disability as you or I or Hester might have a completely different lived experience of it and I think that that means really that you know we have so much that we can bring to the table we have so much that our unique viewpoints and our unique lived experience of disability can bring to organisations to our work to our friendships. I agree with all of that and and I think that to our you know, I, I agree with all of that, and I think that you know, vision impaired people are are some are sometimes um, you know very good at uh, moaning about all the things that they can't do or the things they don't have, and actually, there is so much to celebrate. I I agree, and um, I think you know the the other thing that really resonated with me from your points, Callum, was that. You know, you, you consider your, your blindness a part of you and a part of what makes you who you are. And, and I feel the same, particularly about my cerebral palsy, because um, much like you, um, I have been mobility impaired since birth, um, as you have been, you know, as you have been blind since birth. And so I don't have the perspective of, of um, being non-disabled. I don't have the perspective of um, acquiring a disability later on in life and I do really consider um, that my my disability, my impairment is a huge part of what makes me who I am and, and is something that I am incredibly proud of and I think you know being being disabled, living life as a disabled person is always going to come with frustrations and barriers and things that we wish were easier. And I think your your second point there kind of brought out that sometimes there's more of a focus on the negatives than there are on the potential positives or the potential very good things that can come out of disability. And I think it's just important to underline that. 
absolutely. Can I just pick up on Callum's point? I think I completely agree. As you say, we go, oh, it's Disability Bride Month in July. And then everyone's like, first of August, employees are like, tick, done for another year. And I think this is the problem with a lot of awareness days um, is that people go, OK, great, we're going to focus on that. We're going to get a speaker in or we're going to get some training or a, a neurodiversity workshop booked in because it's Disability Pride Month. Fabulous. Don't need to worry about that for another 11 months. And it shouldn't be a tick box exercise, should it? Yeah, completely agree there, Hester. Thank you. Um, and I think it, this kind of leads us on very, very nicely to our next section where we want to talk about some of our frustrations around disability pride or some of the challenges that we face around disability pride. And I, I do want to say here that, you know, avoiding tokenism is is hugely important if if your organisation wants to be seen as inclusive and wants to be um, truly including and advocating for disabled people. Um, you should, you know, you should ensure that things like training, public communications, etc. are including representation from disabled people year round and not just during Disability Pride Month or Disability History Month. So, you know, we're putting this this podcast episode out during Disability Pride Month because we really just want to highlight it as um, a celebration and we want to raise more awareness of it. But we as an organisation, as Accessable, um, as you'll both know, spend the entire year focusing on disability and working with ambassadors with lived experience like yourselves. And one of the most important things for me as head of marketing at Accessable is ensuring that all of our communications actively and authentically reflect the lived experience of disability, because I think that's how we can learn. That's how we can learn to be more inclusive and learn from disability is from listening directly to the lived experiences of disabled people and it's wonderful that we're able to work with amazing advocates like yourselves to really bring that out in our communications so so definitely important to highlight but also I just want to say thank you for um, for being a part of that with us and for helping us to um to try and avoid that tokenism and I suppose go against the grain so we can ensure that we're we're covering this kind of thing year round. Callum is there anything else that you'd like to say on that? Um, no, not really. I mean, I think you've, I think you've, you've covered it all very succinctly. And I, I, I would just um, reinforce the fact that, you know, training is vital. It's so important um, because I think people actually want to want to do the right thing a lot of the time, but they just don't know how to do it, and and they don't want to cause offence. And so I think training is is really important. Um, I, I suppose if if I were to be really pushed to add anything, I would say that, you know, we talk about the importance of of companies uh, and organizations, you know, embedding in training and inclusive practices. But it's also, I think, up to disabled people to really sell the positives of uh, becoming more inclusive for disabled people and um, I'm not always sure that we as a collective always get that right and I think that's something that we we need to constantly strive to do better. 
Thank you, Callum. Um, that's really interesting. I think, you know, I've been involved in a lot of work that has looked at things like the business case for accessibility, the business case for um, organisations becoming more inclusive, how they can get increased return on investment for um, you know, adapting spaces or indeed investing in training for staff, providing information to disabled people so we understand what to expect. And I feel like there's, there's always this sort of toss up between, well, it's, it's legally important that you are inclusive and that you are um, that you are welcoming disabled people. It's morally important in that it's the right thing to do. It's um, it is potentially um, there is potential to access things like return on investment. We are a market with money to spend. Um, but as you say, Callum, also. Um, it's 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 up to us as disabled people to to be sort of spreading that message and I think doing it in quite a creative way as well. I think you know some of the kind of facts and figures have been hammered home to to um, the wider industry for quite a long time now. You know, the numbers of disabled people in the UK, etc. Um, but how how does how does that translate to how we communicate and how we ask how we can ask non-disabled people? to be allies to disabled people. Hester, I don't know if you've got anything you want to bring in here. Yeah, I completely agree with with both of your points. And I think I just want to add from the, the sort of the neurodiversity perspective, as, as Callum said, it's about being, you know, almost what benefits does, uh, you know, training and awareness around whichever disability, uh, do, what does that bring to businesses? And I think when it comes to neurodiversity, we say, you know, there's about 15 to 20% of the population is neurodivergent. And about 50% of those people don't know that they are neurodivergent, like myself and my husband who got to our 40s who didn't know we were autistic and ADHD. Um, and I think, you know, whether you, for whether it's neurodiversity, for example, you look at the mental health aspect, you look at burnout rate, et cetera. And actually by putting in neurodivergent friendly principles at work benefits everybody. And actually it reduces the amount of sick days people have. It reduces the amount of mental health days people need, the sort of burnout, that kind of cycle. And actually it's just good practice. But I think one of my frustrations is that we, when we talk to organisations and they might say before, usually organisations we find get in touch with us and they say we've had a bit, they might say we've had a bit of training before and we're like, okay. And they're like, so we know a bit about neurodiversity. And I'll say, oh, great. So the trainers, so what neurodivergent conditions do they have? Oh, no, no, they weren't neurodivergent. I'm like, right, but they've been doing training for you around neurodiversity. Yeah, because they've read a lot about it. Or they've studied it and it's like as a white woman in my 40s I can't do you know I wouldn't run racism training sessions racism awareness because I'm not a person of colour like I don't have lived experience of that and nobody would ever expect me to do that but yet when it comes to neurodiversity or disabilities in general oh it's okay because I've read about it so I must I must know like I don't know what it's like to be autistic I'm not autistic my husband and my children are I have the perspective as a parent and a wife but I don't know what that's like so I don't I don't talk about what it's like to be autistic because how do I know but I talk about ADHD and my ADHD because as you say Carrie-Anne everybody with whichever condition they have it is very different my husband's got ADHD I've got ADHD we are very different um, so I think that's one of my frustrations is is organisations go, great, we've got training in, but they don't necessarily, 
look any further than that. And like I said, they use it a tick box exercise, ticks box. Um, and actually the person quite often isn't neurodivergent. Rant over. <laughs> Thank you, Hester. A um, couple of things I want to bring out there. One is that broadly inclusion benefits everybody. Making 100%. your practices, policies, procedures, venues, staff welcome information more accessible will generally benefit your entire customer base. And another one is is just to sort of summarise your point there that, you know, we, we believe that um, awareness or equality training should always be created and designed in consultation with people with lived experience disability. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Callum, do you have any final points you want to bring out before we wrap up? No, I, I think it's been a really, really rich discussion and uh, I, th I think it's provided lots of food for thought, not just for the listeners, but actually for us taking part in the podcast. So, no, it's um, it's been really, really good. And thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you. I am such a fan of a collaborative and creative discussion and um, I think what I want to summarise and sort of finalise on is that we're always learning. We're all always learning. We we feel like we've each learned things from discussing here today um, in, in this recording. And so, you know, disability pride, is it ever something that you can sort of complete? box ticked done I don't think so I think I think disability pride is always evolving from the perspective of individuals and organizations and I think we should embrace that as a journey so thank you so much both of you for joining us today um, I'd like to give you each an opportunity to tell our audience where they can find out more about each of you and your work and what you do so um, Hester we'll come to you first and then Callum Lovely. Thank you. Well, just to say thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure um, being on with Callum and also yourself, Carrie-Anne. It's, it's, as Callum said, like a really rich conversation and discussion. Um, yeah, I'm kind of all over social media. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn, so I'm Hester Granger. Come and find me on LinkedIn or our website is perfectlyautistic.co.uk. I'm also on Instagram as Hester, uh, at Hester ADHD, and that's H-E-S-T-E-R. Thank you. Thank you. Callum? Uh, yeah, so um, my website is www.crystallise.me. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm uh, uh, Callum Russell. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, you can also find me uh, on Twitter um, at crystalvision22. Amazing. Thank you both again for joining us and thank you to our listeners. Uh, we'll be back soon with another instalment of the Accessible Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Accessible Podcast. If you want to find out more about our work and mission, you can visit www.accessable.co.uk, visit our social media pages at Accessable UK on most channels, or email marketing at accessable.co.uk.